Today's week two of our seven-week series called Greater Than, right? So we want to say, is God on the half of the greater than sign with the little Pac-Man eating it, or are we living our lives as if we are greater than? So the sign not equals, not even going the other way, but is God greater than you? Is God greater than your circumstances. So last week we talked about, is God greater than you? This week we're going to talk about, is God greater than your circumstances? Then moving forward, we're going to talk about, is God greater? Next week will be, is He greater than your finances? Is He greater than your time? Is He greater than your worries? Greater than your pain? Or is He greater than you imagine? This series isn't about saying, God is greater. It's not about saying God is greater because I think we can all admit, yes, God is greater, right? God is greater than me. I I completely understand. But it's about living God is greater. And and we're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, here in a little bit. But I want to recap week one because this, this is so easy for us to kind of glance over and, uh, and, and not really think about what really happens here. But last week, we talked about the story of Elijah and, and the altar. And, and, you know, so I want to kind of recap this, and I, I want to touch over it again so as we build on top of this, we, we have a good foundation. So this is in 1 Kings 18, 16 through 40. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you? You troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You've abandoned the Lord's commands and you followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat of Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word through all of Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophet choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but I will not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, He is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. So they agreed. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but don't light the fire. So they took the bull given and they prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. There was no response. No one answered. Shocking, right? And they danced around the altar they had made. So imagine Nothing's happening, and now they're dancing around this, you know, altar, hoping that something's going to happen. And at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Hey, shout louder. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's in deep thought. Or, or maybe he's busy. Or actually, maybe he's just traveling. What do you guys think? Do you think Baal's just traveling? He's busy. He's too busy for you guys. 
Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe we need to wake him up. So shout louder. The guy's sleeping. You know, let's wake him up. So he's kind of mocking him, which is kind of funny. People talk about the Old Testament being boring. This is kind of funny. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears. They started cutting themselves, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him, and he prepared the altar of the Lord which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it onto the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Okay? I used to be a Boy Scout. I'm the self-proclaimed world's worst Boy Scout. I hated camping. I hated, I couldn't set a fire. We had all those bow drills. I couldn't do it. But if you've ever tried to set fire, even if you have like one of those fire starters and you don't have dry wood, it's never going to happen. It's just not. So he's being a little bit cocky here. He's saying, hey guys, pour water on it, right? So pour water on it. Let's make it a little more difficult. Then he goes, do it again. And so they dump four more big jars of water. And then he goes, do it a third time, he ordered. And they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. So now we're talking about there's no air in this trench, which fire needs air, right, in order to breathe. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in this trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. What an incredible story, guys, right? So that's what we talked about last week, how, you know, we're saying, are you the king of your own life? Or is God the king over your life? Who is greater than you? So last week, we wanted to make sure of what side of the equation we belong on. So, you know, God, big Pac-Man, you. God is greater than you. So today we want to spend, today and the next few years, making sure that God is where He belongs. So we looked up the definition of the word circumstance. So circum in Latin means around. How many of you kids, you guys still take Latin? Is that still a thing in school? You do? Very cool. Yeah, we took Latin back in school too. So you learn a lot about, you know, American words when, when you take Latin. So the word circum means around, okay? So the, the definition of the word circumstances says the things encircling or encompassing you. The things circling or encompassing you. So I want you guys to each think in your seats today, what are your circumstances today that maybe aren't ideal, right? What, what circumstances are in your life? Is it your finances? Is it your marriage? Is it your friendships? Is it an addiction that you have? What are those circumstances that maybe aren't ideal for you? 
There's an interesting, very strange uh, phenomenon. And in 1973, there was four hostages that were taken in an attempted bank robbery in Stockholm, Sweden. So these four people were taken hostage by these guys, and, and, you know, the police are trying to do their things, and they're in negotiations and everything. Well, by the end of their captivity, six days later, they actively resisted rescue. So finally, they, they got what they wanted in negotiations, and the hostage, the hostage holders, what are they called? The hostage? Yeah, hostage takers. I don't know what they're called. The bad guys say... Okay, Mike, the door is free. You can go. We got what we wanted. And then Mike goes, I really like it here. I actually want to stay. That's what really happened here. So they resisted rescue. They refused to testify against their captors. So once they were out, they were like, listen, we need you to press charges and testify that these guys held you captive. And they're like, no, I don't want to do that. So they resisted that. They raised money for their legal defense. So this is the equivalent of they started a Kickstarter for these guys, okay? They were like, hey, I know these guys may seem bad, but I want to raise some money for their legal defense so we can help them out. And one of the female hostages later became engaged to one of her now jailed captors. (laughs) So this phenomenon has been, been called the Stockholm Syndrome. And it it comes into play when a captive cannot escape, is isolated and threatened with death, but is shown token acts of kindness by the captor. Obviously, this twisted state of the psyche got its name from later studies of these accounts that transpired in Stockholm, but the same syndrome has since been seen in other situations in life. It's been seen in battered wives, survivors of the Holocaust, and, and similar type situations. So the question is, do you have Stockholm Syndrome with your life or with your faith? Have the circumstances that are surrounding you, encircling you, encompassing you, do they have you at their mercy? Do your circumstances have you at their mercy? Do the things that negatively or adversely affect you keep you clinging to them for some desperation like hope that maybe, just maybe, something could happen good out of that situation, even though you've been burned more times than you can count, right? More times than you can count. You say, you know, he's, he's really just a good guy. I swear, I know he's done those bad things, but, but he's a really good guy. How, how do, do we continue to go back? Has a tragedy or a hardship or loss occurred days, months, even years ago, and it still consumes you? Do you seem overwhelmed by the things going on in your life, like you're treading water and you barely can keep from drowning? Do you feel alone despite having friends and family? If you answered yes in your mind to any of these questions, then God is not the ultimate greater than in your life. I'm going to say that again. If you answered yes in your mind to any of those questions that I just asked, then God is not the ultimate greater than in your life. Your circumstances are. Another side of the coin, not just the bad circumstances, but the good ones. Do you look forward to your vacation more than you do your individual prayer time? 
Do you long for that feeling of accomplishment at work, landing that contract, getting that raise, getting that A on that Latin test that seemed impossible? Or life, that backyard project you finally get to finish, your fitness goals, I finally lost five pounds, that is awesome. Do you do enough to let it dominate your decisions? Do you lose your faith when things are going good, but find it when they're not? In my life, I often, when things are going well, I think it's the tendency with all of us that we tend to forget about God, right? Because everything's going so great. Why do we need Him? God, everything's going so wonderful. I, I don't need you today. And all of a sudden, the floor gets dropped out from underneath us. And what do we do? We drop to our knees and we say, God, we need you. God, I need you to intervene in my life. And sometimes I wonder in my own life, does God let the floor drop out from underneath me so he can grab my attention? Hey, Scott, I know things are going great, but have you forgotten why they're going great? Because I allowed them to go great. Because I am greater than you, Scott. I am greater than your circumstances. Therefore, when the floor fell out from underneath you and this horrible, horrible thing happened that just broke your heart in half, I'm still here. When you were, everything was going great and you had total joy, I was there. And now that the bottom has fallen out, I'm still here. Philippians 4 11 through 13, I'm actually flipping with you guys, so for, I have an app, I have an app for that, love this, um, Four eleven through 13, Philippians, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances, so do you guys know who's talking here in Philippians? Paul, okay, Paul, so Paul, Let's talk about the guy real quick, okay? So, little preface to what he's talking about here when he says this. He's in prison. He's been beat to a point to where he's barely recognizable as Paul. He's been whipped. He's even been stoned and left for dead. Stoned, where you stand against the wall and everybody around grabs a big old rock and chucks it at you. Okay? He's been left for dead. He was plagued by disease. He had an early onset blindness, malaria, epilepsy, a disease of doubt and depression. He was shipwrecked on Malta, an island in the Mediterranean for months. So he was the real-life version of Tom Hanks in, in that movie. He didn't have Wilson, though, to keep him company. Okay? He was persecuted, and he was eventually killed under Emperor Nero's murderous rule. Paul knew what hard circumstances were. So let's read that verse again, knowing what Paul has gone through. Okay, so he's just been stoned, he's been beat, he's been jailed, he's been shipwrecked. Life doesn't get much worse than this until we meet Job later, but that's another day. I am not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Imagine Paul, he's sitting in prison, beaten, bruised, probably got welts on him from rocks. Guys, I'm not in need. I'm content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. 
I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. The Bible just said, I found the secret to being happy. I have found the secret to being happy. And what is it, Paul? Whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. Not, I'm just a tough guy and I can make it through. I made it through two months because I had excellent survivorship skills and I was an Eagle Scout and I could make fire out of nothing and I forged coconuts into delightful meals. No, none of that. Only because I can do things through Him who gives me strength. Maybe you can relate to Paul. Maybe this morning you're feeling beaten up. Maybe this morning you're feeling heartbroken. Maybe this morning you're feeling abandoned. Whether you need plenty, whether you're hungry, whether you're well-fed, Paul's contentment came from knowing and getting his strength from the greater than in his life, which was God. So I'm reading Josh's notes here, guys. Okay, these are Josh's sermon notes. And I love how he keeps things private, but the notes say, I had a conversation earlier this week with a great friend of mine. That's, it was me. (laughs) That made me feel good. I was like, yes, that was me. And we ended up hitting on this concept. So this week, guys, I had the floor, for those of you who don't know, I own the business right next door, right? So I'm the CEO of this company. We have 20 employees and 300 clients, and and we are a faith-based company. Everything we do, we do to honor and glorify God. We want to be excellent in everything we do for Him, okay? Well, as CEO this week, the floor dropped out from under me. My largest client, my biggest client, larger in, in dollar amount that they give my company every month, five times larger than my next closest client. My largest client fired my agency this week. And I felt defeated. I'm hiring five new people. I have 20 employees and 20 families that rely on me to make great decisions and to lead the company in a way that I want to honor and glorify God. And I felt really defeated, guys. I felt abandoned. I said, God, we're, we're giving so much. We're doing all the right things. Why would you let this, this client leave us in, in such a critical time? And Josh said something to me that was so simple and so profound, and, and the beauty of, ha- of us being next door, I know when he's here, so I saw his car, and I texted him, I said, hey, bro, can you stop by? So he just walked over, and, and I said, hey, can you pray for me? And, and he said something to me, he said, Scott, are you a product of your environment, or is God producing the environment in you? I had to let it sit for a minute. Like, it was kind of one of those things, it was kind of like a a bomb he implanted in my brain and would detonate later that day. Are you a product of your environment? So, Scott, are are you sitting there being, oh, woe is me, I lost our biggest client. We lost all this money that, that pays these salaries of these employees, that, that gives us stability. Or is God producing the environment in you? Are you saying, hey God, that stinks that you took away that big client? But you know what? I know you are greater than, and I know this isn't my business, this is your business. And you're not going to abandon it, you're not going to leave it, and I know you have control over this situation. 
Guys, to be transparent with you, I showed up this morning defeated and ready to be spoken to. I was actually excited to sit next to my wife this morning and and to absorb the Word of God and to hear Josh talk about this. (laughs) God has a funny plan. God has a funny plan for things. I literally, I, I, you know, Josh said, bro, you up for preaching? I said, Let, let's, let's do it. Um, and I wasn't ready, and I, I'm still not. But here's the thing. As I prayed before I, I, I came up here this morning, I said, God, you really have a sense of humor. You really do. I came this morning because I was excited to hear how God could be greater than my circumstances. How could God be greater than my circumstances? For those of you guys who who don't know my wife and I, my wife and I, uh, we have our beautiful son Levi, but about six months ago, we lost our baby in a second trimester pregnancy. And and we ended up delivering this little boy at home. His name was Nathan Matthew Brasdo. And we were completely and totally heartbroken. Um, To this day, we are still completely and totally heartbroken. And in the last six months of my wife and I's relationship, I've seen her transform and see how God is using this awful experience of us losing our son for His good. I've seen her witness to other moms who didn't know Jesus, who maybe lost the pregnancy at six or eight weeks, and be able to sit down beside them and hug them and say, I, I know what you've been through. We have learned that God is greater than our infertility. God has a plan for our family. And I believe that. He is greater than. What is that greater than? What is that circumstance in your life that you need to realize that God is greater than it? I used to so selfishly pray, guys. I used to say, God, I want another baby. God, I I want to have another child to raise, to know You, to love You, and to serve You, God. My prayers have changed. God, if it is Your will, would You bring my wife and I another baby? And if it's not Your will, God, will You show us if adoption is the right path for our family. Or if no other children are in our plans with You, God, would You give us peace with that and help us to just love our son the best we can. Changing the way we approach these circumstances. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to go into work, guys, with more fire than I've had in a long time. Because I'm going to say, you know what, guys? This client may have left us, but I have great news Because the God who has all the money in the kingdom is the God of this company and He is going to take care of us. And I'm not worried about tomorrow. And you shouldn't be either. How can you guys say that in each one of your circumstances, no matter what you're going through? Are you a product of your environment? Or is God producing the environment in you? We're going to flip to uh, Genesis chapter 50. Didn't know they had that many chapters. That's the end, actually. Chapter 50, verse 18 through 20. 
His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So Joseph here, despite being lied to, Uh, abandoned by his family, cast into a pit, sold into slavery, falsely accused and framed of sexual assault, thrown into prison for years, Joseph never let his circumstances become greater than the God he served. Joseph constantly had this equation in the right order. Joseph was never a product of his environment. He let God produce the environment in him. And out of that, no matter being a slave, being in prison, being dejected by his family. He was successful in whatever he did, not because he did it alone, but because, like Paul said, he could do all things through Christ who gave him strength. God was the greater than in Joseph despite his circumstances. So in the medieval ages, a fortress, castle, stronghold, whatever you want to call it, find it very funny that you were talking about Clash of Clans this morning, Tony. You're a big fan. Anybody big fan of Clash of Clans? Play this game? Anybody willing to admit it? All right. Thank you, guys. Appreciate that. All right. So Clash of Clans, you have these little battle minions, and you send out your minions to battle other people, and, and you do these things. Well, there's a fact with castles that when you build your castle, if it had running water or a spring within its walls, so think you have this fortress and these walls, right? Though the invading army might outnumber the defenders behind the walls, they were safe and supplied if they had a well. So no matter what was coming at them, no matter what offense would come their way, if they had water and supplies within it, they could just kind of hunker down, kind of like we do when a hurricane comes. You know, we put up the shutters and we get the bottles of water and and, and we, we just kind of hunker down. Maybe like the meaning of the word circumstances, you feel surrounded in your life this morning, encircled, encompassed, hopeless. But if your life is a fortress, and you are surrounded by the enemy, which do you guys know that we have a, a real live enemy that is out to hurt you every day? The, the devil is real, guys. Okay, and, and he's out there, and, and we can see his work in this country pretty clearly in this world every single day. So we, we're living life, and we feel encircled, encompassed, and, and, and hopeless. But if your life is a fortress and you're surrounded, the circumstances of your life may overtake you and, unless you have that spring, that well within your walls. Some of you today might feel overwhelmed because you're fighting and ultimately you feel you're fighting a losing battle. We're going to go to John 4.13. John 4.13 says, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus always spoke in parables, right? 
he always tried to speak in ways that people would understand, that, that it, it never felt that he was speaking down to people. He would try to tell personal stories and, and try to relate to people. So everyone who drinks this water, so everyone who drinks this, would you guys disagree that if you drank this whole bottle of water and then you, you walked down Wickham Road in the 99 degree weather today, do you think you'd be thirsty again? <laughs> Before you hit Wickham, you'd be thirsty again, right? But he's saying everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them, Jesus gives them, will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So we take water for granted. You know, we, we walk into our house and we have that little thing in the refrigerator and fresh, clean water comes out of it and we go to take a shower and hot water comes out or cold water, whatever the heck water you want, it comes out. We take that for granted. Well, back in, in the old days, that didn't exist. You know, you couldn't go take a shower like, oh, we're just going to hit this. You had to build your castle, your fort, or your house around a spring because it's one thing to have a body of water, but guess what? A body of water can dry up, right? A, a well... That, that can dry up. But when it's a well, it's always producing because it's coming from the ground. It's coming from something supernatural. It's coming from the earth, right? And it's just never going to go dry. That well is never going to go dry. We have that same thing with our relationship with Jesus Christ. That when things look bad and, and when life surrounds you, if you have that well in you, that wellspring of life, no matter how much negativity comes your way, no matter how many bad things come your way, you have a God within you that is greater than any of those circumstances. You have a God within you that is greater than any drought, any financial hardship, any brokenness that a marriage may have. God can heal that because that well that is inside of you is everlasting and it will never stop. It will never, ever stop. And that's the exciting thing. So when your circumstances surround you, don't let them become greater than in the equation of your life, but use those circumstances as a chance to return to the well, the everlasting water, the water of life. The God who is greater than you is also greater than your circumstances. Do you need to run to the well this morning? Are your foes many? Run to the well. Do you have a storm in your life right now? Run to the well. Is trouble surrounding you today and you don't see any way out? Run to the well. Is chaos around you and seems to have no end? Run to the well. Are your circumstances overwhelming? And have you lost hope? Run to the well. This well of everlasting life, this well of strength, this well of hope is only found in Jesus Christ. And this God we love and serve is greater than all of these things. Josh talked about last week how People say, I, I believe in, in God, right? Satan believes in God, right? 
there's only one Savior for this world, guys. There's only one Savior for your life, and that's Jesus Christ. And Josh's father this morning is the reminder that God is greater than our circumstances.